0: Friends, welcome to BA in Science. I'm Maggie. That's Brenna. Hi. And we have a very cool guy to talk about this week. We cannot wait to tell you about this badass human who also happened to be a scientist. Um, And we have an awesome surprise for you because we are recording in the same room this week. Isn't that right?
1: That's right.
0: Yep, so we're on, it's vacation time, so we're vacationing together, and so we're recording this in the same room as a special treat, so maybe the audio will be easier to listen to this week. I don't know. I don't actually know if it's going to work any different, but we'll see what happens. I mean, how bad could it be, right? It'll be fine. It'll be fine. You know what won't be fine, though? Me, because this episode was really, really hard for me to research. (laughs) So, the good news for all of you listening is that this episode is going to be way shorter because I, I couldn't fill two hours of content about this guy if my life depended on it. Just because I don't, it's his, his the physics that he was an expert in is almost unpronounceable, let alone explaining it. I, it's very complicated. Was your research on him intense or thorough? Dif-
1: it was difficult for a different reason, just because there's not a lot of information on him. Like it was hard to just get resources. It was very strange.
0: I, well, and I had a little bit of that, too. So we'll, but I think mine was for a different reason. So we'll see what happens when we kind of get into it. Okay, so weekly business. You can find us on Facebook, on our BA and Science page, as well as Instagram. Um, our email is science at gmail. So email us again with suggestions or addendums, because I've got two addendums this week. Um, oh, and we'll post pictures of this guy um, on our Facebook and Instagram and sources and all of that good stuff. So so do you want do you have an addendum this week? I do. Do you want to do yours
1: first? Actually I have two. You have well. two? Okay. Um, Go the ahead. first one is just keep in mind when she says we're all on vacation together that means all. So I'm gonna apologize in advance if there are children noises. Yeah. We're yes. hoping to not have that issue. Because it's supposed to be quiet time, but, you know, kids.
0: We we bribed them with suckers and bluey, so it should be fine. We're hoping.
1: Um, The (laughs) second addendum, which is definitely not as reliable, is last week especially, my cat was being super rude while we were recording, (laughs) and he's just a jerk, basically. He's 14, and he's a cranky old man, and he just meows to be obnoxious. So, sorry about that. You know, it's a cat, so I can't really make him stop. And his food bowl's right by where we record, so, yeah. So if you hear child sounds or
0: cat sounds, situation normal. Yeah. We're doing our best.
1: Yeah, but the cat sounds won't go away.
0: No. Those those might be permanent.
1: Yeah. Well, for as long as he's around. Yes, that is true. Okay, well, my addendums are...
0: Uh, if you recall last week, we threw major shade on mm-hmm. Othniel as a first name because it is terrible. I mean, it, and we had concerns that it wasn't actually bi- biblical, that it was made up. Turns out that it is a biblical name. Othniel was the first judge of Israel.
1: I mean, I didn't do research on that name. I just thought it was a crappy name.
0: I agree. I didn't look at it either. Okay. So, So someone told us, full disclosure, dad, dad. told us. <laughs> Because he knew who it was. Um, But I do have, I think I should send a complaint to Concordia Publishing House, who clearly does not spend enough time discussing the judges in Sunday school. So, I don't know. Maybe it's their fault. Um, I like all their other stuff. I'm just saying, I think they should add judges. So that's addendum one. Addendum two is, again, from last week's episode, we talked about, the questionable movie that is <laughs> the Land Before Time, traumatic, definitely traumatic, very questionable, um, and you know, again, a a part of our history. So when we asked our parents, if you'll again, if you'll recall, we asked our parents why this movie, and the exact quote <laughs> from our dad was the following. Fake animals in search of tree stars seemed like a good idea at the time. So, if you ever wonder about your parenting style, and in, in fact, if you would describe your parenting style as it seemed like a good idea at the time, it's fine because your kids will grow up to have their own podcast, and one of them will be a PhD. So, don't worry about it.
1: And probably not need therapy. I mean, probably. You know.
0: I mean, we might need therapy,
1: but yeah. I we're not we're not currently. Seeing therapists. I did. So. <laughs> also, have a listener uh, message me to let me know that he also was traumatized by Land Before Time as a child. So we're not alone. Okay, that's that's excellent. I think I think we're not alone in this.
0: That's good. That yeah. makes me feel a lot better. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. Well, because the main
0: character was Littlefoot, and he's a brontosaurus, which is huh. totally fake. fake and made it up. Is. It is <laughs> <laughs> all the way back then. So those are my addendums. Uh, Do you have anything else? Did anyone guess our BA
1: for this week? No, but I mean, we are recording a little early because we're here together at the same time. So maybe not as many people have had a chance to listen to episode four. And
0: that could be. So if you're behind on this and you still want to guess, you can. We'll just shout you out one week later. Yeah. But. Totally fine. Yeah, it's fine. So yeah. All right. So no guesses. So then I guess we'll take our quick break and then we'll start with uh, the bio, which you have this week. Sounds good. Okay, Brenna, you get to go first and talk about the life and times of our badass
1: this week. So what's our quote to open us up? The quote is, my father said, if you don't want to be a laborer all your life, stay in school. The lesson took. Nice. Yeah. Um, And so that's a quote from our BA this week, who is Meredith Gordine. Um, and this is actually a quote taken from a New York Times article, I think, um, and they were, like, interviewing him, and he, I mean, this guy seems like a total BA, but it's really hard, we kind of talked about this a few minutes ago, but it's really hard to find a lot of information on him, and I don't, I don't want to get on a soapbox, but like, he seems like a great role model for all young kids, and as we're going to find out, he's an African American, so it just feels like there should be more information about him. I wish it just wasn't so hard to track down information. Not uh, track, down. track you'll get, down. You'll get, you'll get why that's an
0: awesome pun in
1: about I 10 just, seconds. I got the puns, man. <laughs> I got them this, these last couple episodes. We decided that maybe that's because
0: his family is particularly private, because this guy died relatively recently.
1: Yeah, and even now, like, he has um, children that are still alive and stuff, so it, it just could be that, you know, they're kind of quiet people, keep to themselves, which, which is totally fine. I can respect it, but at the same time... But but if it's a case of him being neglected, yeah,
0: we would like someone who is really good at biographies yeah. to write that wrong. Well,
1: because I, I found one book, and it's, like, a book about African-American inventors. And so he gets two pages in that whole book. What? Like... That's not enough. Well, the, the fact that there's a bunch of people in that book and it's like two, three page blurbs on all of them is just like, well, there's probably a lot more interesting things you could talk about with them. So, yeah, so it's just kind of hard to find resources, and I had to do a little, I don't know, extra navigating to get some information about him. That's okay. Yeah. So, all right, tell me all about Meredith. Well, I just have to say, um,. My hot take. Meredith is a really B.A. name for men. Like, I'm not hating on girls named Meredith, but I just really think, like, it's a cool name for dudes. Like, better than Ashley, which is also a dude's Mm, name. I don't know. Yeah, I think I like it better than Ashley for a dude. Yeah. I looked it up, though, and it comes from, it's a Welsh origin. Of course it is. And it probably means something like, great lord, or something like that. Uh So, uh, B.A. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, not that it's important, but that's how I feel about Meredith, the name. Okay. So, Meredith was born September 26, 1929 in, okay, in Livingston or Newark? Uh, they're... Like New Jersey? Yeah, sorry, New Jersey. Um, They... They're, like, 20 minutes from each other, I think. I don't know. I'm not a New Jersey person, but <laughs> um, I, I, like, briefly looked at a map. I was going to say, maps are real hard to come by. So. Well, I did look it up. I think I, like, when I did, like, directions from Livingston to New York, it's, like, 20 minutes. But okay. somewhere in that area. It's just different sources report different places. So Maybe he was from one place, but the hospital was in the other Yeah, place. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, just really quick, 1929, um... 19, uh, well, August 1929, he was born September 26, 1929, but August 1929 was when the stock market crashed. I've heard of it. And, yeah, you might have heard of the Great Depression. I've heard of it. That was, you know, happening the same time that Meredith was born, so he comes into the world shortly after that. Um, he actually ends up, they, they moved to New York City, um, so he grows up in New York City, and I'm guessing from, again, from what I'm gleaning from my sources that I was reading, not a great area of New York, um, just, you know, a lot of areas of New York are not great, right? Um. It's a big city. And it's 19, it's the 1920s, and African Americans are still kind of. I mean, it's not as bad as it, you the know. The Civil
0: Rights Movement hasn't piled right. up yet. Right. You know, it's not, it, it has, we're not to
1: the 50s and 60s yet. Right, so, I mean, yeah. Um, but he goes to a Catholic elementary school in Harlem, okay, um, and it, again, I couldn't tell if that means he actually lived in Harlem or if that's just where he went. Um, in middle school, his teachers noticed that he had a really strong aptitude, though, for science and math. Um, and so they have him take this exam to get into, um, Brooklyn Technical High School. And he does really well, and he gets into the school. And I actually looked up this school. It exists. Um, it still operates today. It feels like a place that Peter Parker would go to school. I mean, maybe. Or Miles Morales, maybe. It started out as an all-boys school. Um, and then finally by, like, the 60s or 70s, girls were allowed to go. Um, so yeah. So that's a school that still exists today. Um... And that's about all I have on his, um, like, young life. Mm -hmm. Um, But just growing up, there's some, to me, noteworthy experiences. So his dad was a painter and a janitor. And obviously he worked really hard to support his family. I know that he had at least one sister. I'm not sure if he had any other siblings. Um, The only reason I know he had a sister is because his obituary mentions that he is survived by his sister. I don't, don't remember her name. I don't know if I wrote it down. So, he at least had one sister. He could have had other siblings that preceded him in death. I'm not really sure. They would didn't. have been mentioned. Because in an obituary, yeah, you mentioned true.
0: preceded in death that's by yes That's yeah, true.
1: So. so, probably just one sister. Okay. Um, so, Meredith would actually go on jobs with his dad after school. Um, so, you can see he would have a really good appreciation for strong work ethic. Because uh, his dad was a really good role model, right? Like yeah. He was a painter. He was a jan- he He like, taught him, like, you've got to work hard. But then that quote that we started the show off with, um, it shows him that his dad did want him to have a better life. Like, his dad was doing what he was doing because it wasn't necessary, and he was going to support his family, and that's what he did. But I think he just was hoping that his son maybe wouldn't necessarily have to go through all of that as he grew up, you know?
0: It sounds like Meredith's dad wants what all of us want for our kids, which is be better than me. Yeah. Do better than me. I mean, especially, like, obviously they were okay with him going to that fancy high school. So he was basically saying, you've been given this opportunity, don't waste it, you
1: know? So I I think that's his dad's BA. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think he really actually valued education. Like you said, they let him go to this uh, technical school um, so that he could kind of have a better life for himself. Um, so, in high school, too, um, he has to, again, I don't even know where I read this, but he has to get, basically gets back, has to go back and forth to school, and, um, again, sounds like a rough neighborhood, and I found a quote of his from some interview that they did, um, that he said, we fought our way to school and back, and his solution at the time was to join a gang, um, not really sure if that was for protection or if it was just because you had to because that's just the area. I don't know. Um, but one of his friends got really, really, um, badly injured and had brain damage after, um, getting into a run-in on the streets. And so, I mean, thankfully, I think he was okay. I mean, he had brain damage, but he survived. But, um, Meredith, I think, realized at that point, um, maybe gang life is not, you know, a good choice. Not ideal. So super smart gets out of that, um, which is awesome that he got out off that path because, you know, we might not be talking about him today had he decided to stay in the gangs or whatever. For real. So he just, I'm going to focus on school and he got himself there and back and just tried to kind of stay out of trouble. Um, in high school he was actually a swimmer and I read that he got a scholarship to the University of Michigan because of his swimming. But um, um, You
0: know who also is a famous swimmer from the University of Michigan? Who? Michael Phelps. Yeah, you may yeah, have heard of him. Yeah, One maybe. of the most winningest
1: gold medalist yeah. swimmers ever. Yeah. Well, he doesn't go to the University of Michigan. Oh, loser. Yeah, yeah. he doesn't actually go swim in at school either. Um, in his last year of high school, uh, he decides to run track. And he never won a race or anything running track in high school, but that's when he um, picked up, I guess, track as a, I don't know, hobby? Activity? Sport? 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 Okay. Well, okay, so he turns down the scholarship, um, to Michigan, and I'm, you know, again, I'm, I'm speculating, um, maybe he just wanted to stay in New York, uh, maybe going out to Michigan was too much for him. I mean, I know he had a scholarship, but if it meant leaving his family, again, I don't know anything about his family life, like, did his dad need him to stay home to help out or whatever. Yeah. Um and so he doesn't go instead he basically pays his way to go to Cornell University. Also I've also heard of that school. It's a pretty good school. Yeah. It's fine. And he's going to study engineering physics which sounds Pretty much like one of my least favorite topics I could ever think of putting the word engineering and physics together in a in a sentence. I don't want to do that either. Yeah, Mm-mm. that's a lot of math, and we all know how I feel about math. <sighs> yeah, well, but it's
0: not enough math because, as you will see when I discuss what he's famous for, mm-hmm.
1: there's there's a significant dearth of oh. math there. Oh. Okay, well. So he's going to study engineering physics, so obviously he's very brilliant. Um, and he's at Cornell, so alright, maybe, maybe, you know what it was, probably the University of Michigan just wasn't good enough for him, because Ivy, Ivy League's the way to Because Ivy League, yes, obviously. I, I will give you that. Um, but I think it's impressive that he turns down a scholarship, and is like, well I'll just pay for it. I'll just figure out how to pay to go to Cornell. So, while he's at Cornell, he gets on the track team. Um, and he actually ends up becoming the team captain. Um, he competed in sprints, low hurdles, and long jump. Those are his um, events. Okay. And he was, I read an article that said he was 6 feet, 175 pounds. Yo. That's crazy. That's That's I'm, like a, that's a big dude. That's a big guy. And, but in, an intensely fit yeah. big guy. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, like, he's tall, but 175 yeah. pounds is not... For six feet, is not, like, a lot. No, he's so uh, intensely fit. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's, I mean, why would he be good at long jump? Because he's super tall. He probably is super tall. they are super long legs or whatever. So, yeah, so sprints, low hurdles, and long jump. Um, okay, I read one source that said he got the nickname Flash at this point in his life. But I read another source where it was later in life, so I'm not really sure. At some point, he
0: picked up the name Flash, probably because, well, because like Flash Gordon, right? Right,
1: right. But I read that it was like he was on some of uh, uh, one of the boards that he was on um, later on in his life, like that's like the board kind of gave him that nickname. So I'm not really sure. Again, it, that doesn't I feel make bad. sense to me. I feel bad. Not having firm facts about these things, but I'm just a lot of it I'm like finding bits and pieces of literally just articles that were interviews mm-hmm. and publications from the those times so I just i don't know I don't, I don't have know a lot he's of like he's, solid facts to work he's with. legendary and mythical, and that just sometimes
0: yeah. happens with legends and myths,
1: yeah, well, so anyway, he's doing track and he's still in college, and um. He makes it to the summer, summer Olympics in Helsinki. Amazing. Yeah, in uh, 1952, right? Yeah, 1952. hmm So, as a college student, he's going to the Olympics, which I think is really impressive. So, he's super smart doing engineering physics, and he's going to the Olympics. So, at the Olympics, he wins a silver medal for the long jump. He lost by one and a half inches. Which is literally the worst. Well, so I read that he said, I would have rather lost by a foot. Oh, I yeah. I still have nightmares about it. Yeah. Yeah. I One and a half inches away from a gold medal. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I'm Which sorry. Is... It's still impressive. Which is... I mean,
0: it's one and a half inches for him from a gold medal. For me, like, because the Olympics are coming, which I am thrilled about. The Olympics are my favorite. But the Olympics is also the time of the year while I'm stuffing my face with potato chips and saying, (laughs) wow, that's definitely a 9.4 performance, you loser. So, I mean, for me, it's more more like a six-mile distance from a gold medal. So, like, an inch and a half has got to be heartbreaking when you're actually talented at it. Because I'm not. I'm a really good couch Olympian. Yeah, well, like, listen, that Hungarian better get it together. He's not going to reclaim his title in wrestling.
1: That's the yeah. kind of
0: that's the kind of yeah. stuff you'll
1: feel are flying out of my mouth in about three weeks. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I was watching the gymnastics qualifiers or whatever, and one girl stepped out of bounds. I was like, "Oh, she's done. It's over. She's not gonna make it now." Mm-hmm. So. Oh, and then and then someone's always got to be the French judge, if you remember.
0: Oh yeah, the 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 low scoring French. It the Winter Olympics. It was an ice skating, wasn't ice it? Ice skating, yeah. yeah. Because there was some judging, fixing. Yeah. Scandal. Yeah, so much scandal. Anyway, I love the Olympics, and this yeah. guy won a silver medal, so good yeah. good job.
1: So he's good timing for, you know. Yeah, good timing for right about now, for everything. Um, So yeah, so I think it's still really impressive that he won a silver medal, but I can totally see how that would just, you were that close. I mean, that's how everybody must feel, like, the people that lose by tenths of a point in gymnastics or, like, hundreds of seconds after somebody crosses a finish yes. line i mean you know but yeah it's i feel like it'd be easier to lose by more anyway um in addition to the silver medal that he earns while going to college he also earns four titles in championships of intercollegiate association of amateur athletes of america and then he also has five titles in the heptagonal games which from what i briefly looked up is like an Ivy League track and field thing which has been going on since 1934. I think it's a big deal If you're, like, an Ivy League track and field person, I don't know. Maybe somebody out there
0: knows more about the heptagonal game. In in the unlikely event that people who have Ivy League educations are listening
1: to our podcast at this
0: point, please let us know.
1: And also, we're sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Also, thanks for putting up with it for this long. okay. (laughs) So, so, yeah. So, if you know more about the heptagonal games, uh, let me know. Because I didn't really um, spend too much time looking it up. But I just wanted to kind of know what it was. So, anyway, he does well in his college career as well, uh, in track. Uh, also while at Cornell, he gets elected into the Quill and Dagger Society, which to me is just, makes him even more BA. The Quill and Dagger is a senior honor society at Cornell. Like it's still a thing there and it's a big deal. It's one of the highest non-academic things you can basically get selected for oh, at wow. Cornell. Um, I think when I looked it up, it's something like, for exemplary undergraduates with leadership, character, and dedication to service. Um, and a lot of well-known graduates of Cornell were in the Quill and Dagger uh, Society. I think you can actually look up a list. I did not write any names down, but when I was searching, I'm, I believe there's like lists out there of Oh. Who, who was in the Quill and Dagger Society. Oh, for sure. Yeah, But it used to be super secret and it's still secret in regards to what the Quill and Dagger Society might contribute to the campus or when they are meeting, but every semester now they do actually publish names of students who are, are tapped for the society. So I don't know. I just like that it's Quill and Dagger Society. I, it, sounds, it sounds cool. Yeah, it sounds dangerous. Yeah. And scholarly. Know. Yeah. So he's, he's killing it at Cornell. Um, so then he graduates in 1953 and he goes and serves as a naval officer. Okay, now I'm not sure, I, I feel like I cannot find out information. This, I, this was a very frustrating, uh, episode to research just because mm-hmm. I wanted more answers and yeah. I could not get them. Um, I don't know how long he served as a naval officer. Uh, the Korean War would have been ending... Uh, in 1953, right? Wasn't it like 51 to 53 Mm, or 50 to 53 or something?
0: 53 is right about the end of it. Yeah,
1: but that's what I'm saying. So, like, the Korean War is about over, so we aren't in wartime. So, I don't know that he would have seen active duty, like, been, I doubt he would have been over there, um, at the end. Um, well, and if he was in, I mean, I don't know. I, and I, all I could find out is that he was an officer, right? Like, he's a naval officer. Like, that's what I know. All right. That's it. Um, (laughs) At any rate, he gets a Guggenheim Fellowship. um, Big
0: stinking deal. It's a
1: big deal. Like, that's still a thing. Like, you can still get those. Um, And he gets that for engineering physics, um, and he ends up going to Caltech to get his doctorate. He gets his doctorate in 1960, so, like, I don't know. I don't know how long his program would have been, because for me, well, I guess in the field of chemistry, like, five years on average, is what people take to get a doctorate. So if he went to the Navy in 1953 and got his doctorate in 1960, there's seven years in there.
0: Um, I have some more info okay. when all I cause cool. when I talk
1: about his time at Caltech. Yeah, because I'm not gonna talk about Caltech and science and all that. Yeah. Um. Okay. So maybe you can clear that up for us. Maybe. Okay. So he was a naval officer for a certain amount of time, and you know, I feel like if he was like dishonored. Dishonorably discharged. You would have found out. I think honestly, he just must get the fellowship and decide. I'm going to school. Yeah, going back to school. Um. All right. So then I'm going to skip pretty much all the cool stuff that he Um, does. It's not cool. Well, (laughs) it's probably cool from like what it means to us today, but not like how it actually works. Yes, that's very accurate description. Okay. Because I don't, I you know, it didn't look too much, but it feels like it's important stuff yeah like but it's necessary stuff but uh, learning about how it works is I mean it's engineering physics guys I don't I mean I don't know okay we're not physicists yeah, we're just not not. We're not a physicist like if students ever come ask me hey do you remember physics I laugh and say no <laughs> Oh, Like, like, no, but you do not want me to help you on your physics homework or your physics problem because I will probably get it even more wrong. No, because physics physics is is significantly triggering
0: for me. I will curl up in a ball and start crying, and that that will put me in therapy.
1: I don't want to talk about physics. I mean, I had to take university physics at 8 a.m. Yeah. And our tests were so long that we were, our teacher, our professor was gracious enough to let us come early. So I would go take my test at 7 a.m. Yeah for two hours, and still leave, like, I don't know, 30% of it blank. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Physics. Physics. It's Y'all triggering. know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Trigger. We should. Do we need a trigger warning? <laughs> there uh, there physics, it is for you. Physics, physics trigger, trigger warning. warning. Okay. So I'm going to skip all the cool stuff he does, and uh, I have to give you a little spoiler alert. He becomes really rich. Yeah. Um, and Maggie will tell us why and how and all that. So... He buys a big house in a quiet neighborhood, and he just does his thing. And that's why, again, I don't, I think that's why there's not a ton on him, because I think he just, he does his thing, but then he's like, I'm just going to live my life. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I did read that he lost a lot of his money backing an invention that didn't pan out, but then he bounced back from that and just keeps doing his thing. He just kept making stuff. Yeah, he just, you know. Because he's smart. Yeah. Um, I do know he was married twice, I think his first wife was June Hubbard, and he had three daughters, Terry, Tracy, and Tony, two of which lived in New Jersey and one in California at the time of his death. Again, this is literally the information I'm getting from his obituary, because mm-hmm. that's the only place I can find this information, which is really sad. Um, his second wife was Carolina Bailing, I hope is how that's how that's said. But um, they do have a son, uh, Meredith Jr. Okay. So uh, as far as I can tell, uh, Meredith Jr. should is probably alive and out there and everything. Yeah. Okay, so sadly, towards the end of his life, he develops di- diabetes and ends up being essentially blind. Um, I also read that he lost a leg as well. Yeah, because you know you, that that's happens frequently. Yeah, that's common, with, common diabetes. with diabetes. And again, this was. Uh, what is it, 1990, I mean, it was it's 1998 when he dies, right? Um, yeah, but, but, it, but still.
0: I mean, and if he didn't catch, if they didn't right, know, like, right. you know, there's still, it right. wasn't, we, because remember, we were born in the 80s, so when we say a decade or so ago, we're talking about the 70s.
1: Yeah. Which is...
0: Completely inaccurate because yeah. right now, a decade or so ago, we were out of college. Yeah, barf.
1: When when so, people talk, when people mention things from like 2004, I'm like, oh, that was just a few years ago, and then I'm like, no, that was it was 17 years was ago. So there like, are high
0: school seniors. Like that half were my, born.
1: like half my life ago. Yeah, just you know, fine. Time yeah. is a right. flat circle. Anyway, it's very strange. But anyway, um, so then I also read that he suffered a series of strokes. He was on dialysis, which if you're if you get diabetes, you can develop um, end stage kidney failure. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's probably why he was on dialysis. Mm-hmm. So he does um, pass away on uh, yeah November 20th, 1998 at 69 years old, and he dies in Houston. I could not find out where he is buried. Like I don't know anything. I don't know anything about any of it. Um, maybe in Houston. Maybe in New Jersey, where his other family. Uh, you know, where his family is. Anyway. I don't even know how he ended up in Houston, to be honest, which I do. I was gonna say Maggie probably does because <laughs> of his uh, science stuff. Yes. But I don't even know how he ends up in Houston. So, um, yeah, so I don't know where he's buried. Um, and again, he's survived by all his children. He had five grandchildren, Aww. his wife, um, and then, oh, I did write her name down. His sister, Charlotte Williams, okay. is mentioned in his obituary as well. Um, so yeah, so he would have had grandkids and that kind of thing. But I think they were just, and still are, probably just kind of private people. Um, yeah, that's, that's Meredith Gordine's life. I think it's pretty impressive on its own, honestly. Even without knowing literally any of the science that he did. Mm -hmm. Um, but the fact that he, he decided that maybe there was a different
0: path than living a really hard life in inner city new york in the 30s and totally took advantage of that opportunity yeah. that's you know i'm i'm saving up nuggets for when we get to the end of like why i think he's a total ba and that's probably going to be one of them for me because yeah. i didn't i didn't know that i didn't read that i again i stay away from most of the bio info but some of it i have to like weed through to get sciency stuff but yeah. that, that never came up in what i read so that's very cool yeah so that's what i have
1: Okay, well, see, see
0: everyone, we can talk for
1: less than 45 minutes. I mean, only because there's literally no <laughs> other res. I'm pretty sure any resource that potentially mentioned Meredith Gordine is like the, the ones that I read. Yeah, no, I yeah. I believe it. Yeah.
0: I, let's take a break, then we'll get into mine, and you will see that it was a lot of the same for me. Yeah. Sound good? Sounds good. Okay. I promise to do my very best with this science, but as I mentioned, I'm not an expert, and it was hard to find information on it. And like I, maybe we'll get into that, but I don't. We'll just see what happens. Okay, Meredith Gordine, as Brenna mentioned. Oh, and heads up, I'm going to be referring to him as Flash, hmm. because yeah. that's how I'm going to talk about him. Yeah. So Flash got a Guggenheim Fellowship and went to Caltech for his grad work. Now, he had some completely incredible jobs while he was there. This is why I think it took him the amount of time it took him to get his PhD, because he was working some serious jobs during that time, possibly as a working toward his PhD. Again, I don't know how it works, but he worked for the Ramo Woolridge Corporation on the technical staff, Um, and that company was eventually acquired by Northrop Grumman, and they do lots of things, including building the Pioneer One spacecraft. Hmm. Yeah, so kind of big deal stuff. Yeah. Then he became a senior research scientist at the Caltech Jet Propulsion Lab. Oh. Yeah. So, and this is a big deal because Caltech is incredibly prestigious. Um, there have been 38 Nobel laureates that have come out of there. Wow. Nobel laureates that have come out of there. Yeah. He graduated from Caltech in 1960 with a PhD in engineering science, and then he had some more fabulous jobs. He got a job as lab director for Plasmadyne Corporation, which does not exist in the same iteration anymore then he went to the curtis wright corp uh corporation they do aerospace industrial defense work all that kind of thing um that was in 1962 when he went there uh to be chief scientist so now dr flash i hope i hope you guys can hear the little pounding feet In the room above us. It
1: sounds like a bunch of elephants are running across my floor right now. It does. But it's fine. It's feet off the floor time. And they've been doing pretty good.
0: So maybe... So if you hear that, that's what it is. It does not sound like feet (laughs) off the floor right now. I'm (laughs) just saying. Definitely feet on the floor right now. And the thing
1: is, it's probably my child leading the charge. Well, we'll see.
0: My children are angels. (laughs) My children are instigators. Anyway. So is mine. Well, yes. Okay. So... He goes to Curtis Wright Corporation in 1962 to be chief scientist. So Dr. Flash, because he's got his Ph.D. now, mm-hmm. Dr. Mm-hmm. Flash, Dr. Flash, yes, has some job experience. So he borrowed some money from his family and friends, and he opened Gordian Laboratories in Livingston, New Jersey. Okay. At, at its peak, he was employing 150 people. Wow. It was a big company, and he wanted to do work in the thing that he was an expert in, which I will get to in a minute. After successfully running that company, he left there and started another company called Energy Innovation Inc in Houston, Texas. And he served oh. as the CEO there until his death in 1998. Gotcha. So briefly, cause I'm not talking about this part. Okay, I'll tell you how he got to Houston <laughs> in a second. Cause I, 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 cause here's the thing. I mean, that blurb takes care of education and career but the science is longer than a blurb. So right. Dr. Flash was an expert in the area of electro gas dynamics, which is all one word. Okay. And when you put that into Google, Google's like, did you mean electro gas dynamics? <laughs> Three different words. And I was like, no, Google, and so I said what I said. <laughs> and it was like, we don't have anything on that. Helpful. Yeah, so I was like, great. Um, and the reason I really think that is the case is because Physicists who are experts in the field of electro gas dynamics probably are not googling things about it.
1: Yeah, that's probably. And they the average I don't even
0: need Google and the average person doesn't have a need to get into electro gas nope. dynamics So I and I know nothing about it until I researched it, but it's important Um, he held but like over 90 patents for all kinds of really important innovations and invention um, and a lot of them had to do with this electro gas dynamics, but Um, he had patents for stuff in acoustic imaging, so think, like, ultrasound. Oh. Yeah. Um, not the ultrasound, but he did work in ultrasound, yeah. Um, he had, he invented something called the Focus Flow Heat Sink, which is a device used to help cool computer circuits by dispersing the heat. Mm -hmm. So, like, I used to, I have some experience working with metals, and so a heat sink is, like, if you have a little cup of boiling hot metal that you need to cool down quicker you stick something metal in it because the metal will absorb that heat and Mm -hmm. it will pull it away from what you're trying to cool off it's it's heat dispersion that's a really it is and it's a really crappy way to describe what a heat sink is but you get the idea um so he invented that and it was specifically for cooling computer circuits because as as you know if you have a computer that is like because we had computers in our house
1: that were from the 80s Mm. they got Mm. hot yeah So, um, that was a big deal. I mean, your laptop still does. Mine does. Yeah. But you can hear the fan whirring and stuff like that.
0: And if if the fan goes out, your computer will not turn on. It will say, fix this fan or I'm not doing the thing. So, it's important. Okay, but to talk about his most well-known patents, we need to talk more about electro-gas dynamics. So... It is the study of the forces produced by the motion of electrically charged particles carried by an insulating gas through an electric field. And I read that and I was like, I quit this. (laughs) I was like, we're not researching this guy. We got to think of a new one. I don't even, I understand all those words separately. I don't know... Okay, so I had to- I just feel like I needed to have a
1: drink for this episode. I know, we should obviously something. have had Manhattans because I don't know what to do. Take a few shots before learning this stuff and then it'll make it be like, more fun. I don't know,
0: an alcohol-soaked <laughs> definition of electro-gas dynamics is going to be more interesting. It's just be easier
1: for me to stomach, quite frankly, because you I said a lot of words and I just cringed.
0: Okay, so. okay, okay, so let's let's break it down. Okay, Electrically charged particles- are atoms or molecules that have extra or missing electrons. You, as a chemist, yeah, I got
1: that. I'm good. You're with there. That. Okay, okay.
0: So, so for those of you who are not chemists, remember that an atom is made up of protons, neutrons, and electrons, and the electrons determine the vast majority of an atom's behavior. And as electrons get passed around, that's how you get ions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So when a whole bunch of electrons are bumping into each other when they're moving from one place to another. That is a terrible definition for electricity. Okay. So the, the moving of electrons, electricity. Right. Okay. Electricity can flow through a lot of things. hmm now, specifically in electrogas dynamics, Dr. Flash studied how electrons flowed through insulating gases. Okay. As a chemist, you probably know what an insulating gas is. It's yes. sometimes called a dielectric gas, mm-hmm. okay? And, and it, what it's good is, it's good at quenching or preventing electrical discharges. Mm-hmm. Turns out that electricity needs the atoms in something to be close together to move through it. Like in, in metals, for instance, because of the way that metals are structured atomically and also because like in a metal in a metal wire they're real it's a solid mm-hmm. the atoms are really close together so the electrons can move very it's a sea
1: of electrons that's how it gets described in chemistry textbooks there you go a sea of electrons so see that you hate that less yeah okay so there
0: are some gases that are better at helping electrons move than others um and the air we breathe though i think partly due to the high nitrogen content is an insulating gas it's terrible at like electricity does not move very well through the air that we breathe Mm -hmm. it is considered an insulating gas again i really i couldn't i couldn't find why it's so good because i didn't know how to research it because i'm not an expert in any of this but um because that was the problem. It wasn't just that I had to research it. I don't even know how to research it. <laughs> anyway, the air that we breathe is an insulating gas. So, and we know, again, electricity does not flow very well through the air, so that makes sense. Dr. Flash basically studied what happens when ions move through the air. Okay. That's electro gas dynamics because as electrons move through the air, things change. Dynamics, yeah. electro gas dynamics, okay? okay. okay. Honestly, I spent a lot of time procrastinating when it came time to research this episode because, like, I said, okay, I can do this. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to get it done. I cannot because, again, all these things that I described to you, I had to research individually because the subject as a whole is not something that someone who's an expert in it would ever Google, nor would a person who is just, like, a random, like, a kid in a science class isn't going to do a report on this. They're going to talk about Boyle's Law. You know what I mean? So did you engage in productive procrastination? I did. I finished another episode that we're not doing until the end of this season. Oh, so, yeah. It was it was great. I also probably cleaned things that didn't need cleaning. Yep. And um, probably threw out a bunch of, e- like, went through my email hmm. folder. Well, that seems, sounds productive. It was. But it was definitely not the research right. that needed to get done. Okay. So. The cool thing about Electro-Gas Dynamics is that it has a lot of practical applications, and that's where Dr. Flash was like the master. He could he could take these principles and apply them in a way that was very useful and um, groundbreaking. So there are three problems that he kind of used these principles to solve that I want to touch on because it is what he is most famous for. Okay. First, I want to talk about paint. His dad was a painter, if you'll recall. Yep. Now, specifically, I want to talk about painting cars, which I don't think is what his dad did. Um, but like, and honestly, if they could figure out how to do this technology with nail polish without it killing or maiming people, I'm <laughs> all in for that. You'll you'll see why I'm saying that. Okay, so Henry Ford, the guy yes. of Ford, you know, yeah. Ford vehicles, right? started this way of mass-producing cars called an assembly line. Correct. That was how he was going to, and it revolutionized industry, period. So, listen, and if you do ever go to Detroit, definitely take the Ford Rouge Factory Tour because you get to go... There's like this walkway above a they're putting they're putting trucks together hmm. it's f one fifty and you can look down and see a guy like take a part from behind him, put it onto the thing, and the car keeps moving. Guy is standing there car keeps moving, and you can see these cars being made in real time it's amazing um, it's it's probably one of the coolest places i've ever been honestly it is it is worth every penny and every minute of your time anyway. So, and that, the assembly line taught us that saving time saves money, and it's not just the business owner, it's also the consumer, right? Mm -hmm. So, trimming time off how long it takes to make a car is really important, but you can't sacrifice quality. Mm -hmm. At some point on the graph, there's a break-even where we're doing it really fast, and now the quality is starting to go down, so this is as fast as we can go before we lose a really good product. Mm -hmm. So one thing that was not as efficient as it perhaps could have been was the painting process. So obviously by the sixties, people had options about what color car they were going to drive. In the early days of the Model T you could have any color you wanted as long as it was black. Yep. So that's not the case anymore. By the time Meredith Gordine is working, um, in, in, in this field we'll say. So applying paint to metal is difficult to do, especially not straight metal. Hmm. right? So, like, pl- applying it evenly and having it, like, because if you've ever spray painted anything that's metal, like, it gets splotchy in some spots, it gets clumpy in other spots, and there's drips. And then, because of where you're spraying, you have to cover everything in plastic because you're wasting a lot of paint. It's it's not a great process. Okay, Very true for cars. And so, if if there was a way to make it cheaper to paint a car well, That's going to save a lot of time and a lot of money. Yeah. So, and especially because, again, car metal is curvy and it's got nooks and corners and whatever. So Dr. Flash thinks, oh, I can fix that. So he invented a machine that would take powdered paint, powdered paint, and give each particle a positive electrical charge. Then that same machine would put a negative charge on a car part or whatever. Hmm. Now, we know that opposite charges attract positive to negative, so when the paint realizes that there is this negatively charged car part here, and it's positively charged, it's going to jump to the metal in a nice even coating, hmm. because there's only there's only a certain way that molecules can arrange themselves, yeah. right? True. So, the paint won't be attracted to anything that's not charged, so, it's, so you're not going to waste any. Hmm. Less. You're going to waste a lot less. Yeah. Now, after the paint is on the metal, the machine would then heat the metal so that the paint would melt and look like regular paint. Oh. Okay? So this is the early form of electrostatic painting. Huh. Nowadays, you can buy your own electrostatic spray gun. What? Yeah, you can't. And they cost like 800 bucks. That was something that Google could tell me about. <laughs> I put in electrostatic painting, and they're like, oh, do you want to treat yourself? Here's one, here's four. And now I've been getting ads for electrostatic painters. Like, you know what? You deserve a treat, get another one. It's like, I don't want to buy one, but here we are. So so think of painting like an iron fence, like a wrought iron fence has all those circular, Mm -hmm. you know, pieces of iron. Do you really want to sit there with a brush or Mm -hmm. a bottle of spray paint? No, because there's, it takes a ton of time, a lot of paint's gonna be wasted, it's messy, whatever. But if the paint is simply attracted to it using this electrostatic attraction, you don't have any of that, Hmm. so. The idea of having metal attract particles using the principle of electrogas dynamics also came in handy when dealing with air pollution. Okay. In the olden days, and I'm talking like the 1970s, remember, because that wasn't just a couple decades ago, <laughs> as we discussed. Um, trash was incinerated, which is burned yes. in a, yeah. Yep. So it, that was very popular in places like New York City, where there are lots of people and not much space. So when you have high population density, you can't you can't take Central Park and make it a landfill. <laughs> You don't, you don't, you have to have a place to put this, this trash.
1: Yeah.
0: So trash went to a facility that would just burn it. Mm -hmm. Someone even got the bright idea to use incinerators to generate energy. Okay. Which is a great idea, but it did have the unintended consequence of making the air really dirty. Yeah. Because all the stuff that you're burning, like what happens when you burn plastics? Good
1: things? No, No. No. Bad things. Very
0: bad things. Not good. You don't want all of that stuff accumulating in people's lungs. Which is exactly where it would go. And Dr. Flash saw this problem and once again set out to use his knowledge of electro gas dynamics to solve it. He invented something called an incinerate. Okay. The incinerate lives where the smoke from an incinerator is coming out, like a smokestack. Okay. Okay. As the smoke passes through the incinerate, it's given a negative electrical charge. Okay. Okay. And remember, smoke is not a gas for those of you who don't know smoke is a solid okay. it is a gas that's carrying solids is probably right, particles on there yes yeah right so you're giving those particles a negative electrical charge and and then it's going to go through the smokestack as the charged particles move along their route to the outside air in there there is there is a there is something that has a positive electrical charge associated with it mm-hmm. and so all those negatively charged particles dirt, allergens, bacteria, whatever, mm-hmm. is getting stuck to that surface hmm. so that it's cleaning all of that gunk out of it before it goes out into the uh, regular air. Hmm. The invention was such a big deal, I, I think that this is what landed him, Dr. Flash, on um, the the New York mayor at the time was Mayor Lindsay. He had a task force on air pollution mm-hmm. and immediately put, I'm pretty sure this is why Dr. Flash got on it because this was going to solve a huge problem Mm -hmm. nowadays we don't incinerate garbage as much because it really isn't the best (laughs) way to deal with waste it's not ideal but if it's necessary to incinerate particularly in industry because there are some industries Mm -hmm. that still do they still use a method very similar to this Mm -hmm. they don't use the incinerate device i don't think but um it's something that they still do today and i we have at least one listener who is um a fireman Mm -hmm. and if like when you have smoke that's in a building that you need to get out, I think they, there are ways to use this technology in mm. that situation as well. Like to clean the air after a fire. Mm. Not sure, but I think so. I'm sure that he, Jacob, you know who you are. Just tell me what it is. So, um, okay. That brings me to the third application. Of this charged particle technology so all of the stuff that I'm talking about has has dealt with these charged particles mm-hmm. now before I go into this the reason he ended up doing energy and energy innovations down in Houston was because this technology can take very 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 low quality fuel
1: okay
0: and turn out very 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 high amounts of energy hmm. yes and and The process is so comp. I could I could there's no way I can tell you about it But what I do know is that energy innovations was all about taking those fuel sources and Doing better with them. So he was really big into I I would almost say alternative energy sources Hmm, So that's what he that's part of what he did too. Okay now this application of the charged particle technology Uh, He developed the electrostatic precipitator filtration system. Hmm. And all of you out there, before you tell me that you haven't heard of it, you probably have, you just don't know it. It's very commonly used to remove all kinds of stuff, especially allergens and bacteria, from the air. And you can do it in a large scale or or a small scale, like for home use. Hmm. So... If you have an air filter in your home that uses an electrostatic precipitator, you can thank Dr. Flash. Oh. Yes. So here's how, how, basically how it works. Um, And a lot of my sources on this were just companies that sell them Um. because they have, like, how does it work sections, which are very (laughs) useful. Because they're designed, they want to sell you the technology you're not going to buy if you can't understand it. So it was very helpful.
1: Designed for non-
0: Non-science people. Engineering physicists. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Designed for laymen, essentially. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the electrostatic precipitator has two sections, a charging section and a collection section. Now, the air with the dust particles, allergens, pollutants, bacteria, whatever, the air mm-hmm. flows into the charging section where an ionizer gives it a negative charge. hmm Now, an ionizer, I had to look up how this works. Do you know how an ionizer works, Bryn? Yeah, but go ahead. Tell me if I got this right. Okay. Because I'm pretty sure I didn't. Okay. So, a way that an ionizer can work is that you put a very large amount of electricity through a piece of metal. And at the end of the metal, the electrons build up there and they fire off when they're attracted to something with a positive charge which is the dust allergens, whatever that's coming in. So now you've got this piece of metal in there with a lot of energy going through it, firing off electrons, and those electrons are colliding with the molecules that make up the crap that's in there. Okay. Okay. So now in a pure precipitator situation, the collection section has a series of positively charged plates, right? So after it gets blasted by the ionizer, all of that negatively charged stuff goes into the collection section Mm -hmm. and those plates are positively charged. So it attracts the particles and the air flows out and it's been cleaned. Um, so again, it's like that electrostatic paint thing where it's attracted to the metal and blah, blah. Okay. If you're using this precipitator in most air filtration systems though, which many do once those ions have bonded to the junk that's in there, it makes a big dirt molecule which can't float in the air anymore. Hmm. So all the airborne particles are now too heavy to keep being airborne, hmm. and so they just fall to the floor to sweep up when you vacuum or dust or whatever. Hmm. So, yeah. So it's very cool, it's very cool technology and it's very common, and I really feel like maybe Dyson even makes oh. use of the idea in, I'm not in their air purifiers, not sure on that, but it oh. feels like they would, because it's, it's efficient or it's stupidly efficient. Hmm. It's it's very effective and um, And again, pretty common because it works so um, That is that is his scientific Contribution and his legacy is well known and well documented, but it's just hard again It's frustrating because it's like I need someone to tell me this like I'm a (sighs) third-grader and no one could do that um, he was elected to the National Academy of Engineering, though, in 1991, which is one of the highest professional honors an engineer can receive. So that's mm. a big deal. Wow, you're you're like elected by a current NAE member. Oh, okay. And so, like, yeah. So the people who are on, who are already in the National Academy of Engineering, pick who they want to join. It's very prestigious, and it's um, a sign of respect from other. Mm. You know, so if you're getting that honor, you're very well respected in your field. In 1994, he was inducted into the Engineering and Science Hall of Fame, which is in Dayton, Ohio. Shout out to our hometown! Hmm. Um, did you know that it was there? Yeah. It, okay. Um, I For, Since you to that re- during my
1: research, since yes. you
0: researched it, but before that, did you know? Because I didn't. It has no. a physical building. You can like go there.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. Anyway, I mean, we're from the area, but not like
0: we're Dayton, not not Dayton. from Dayton, Dayton. That's true. We are from Southwest Ohio, but um, it's it's the closest big place. It's the closest big city. Yes. Yeah. You know how, like, when you're from Cleveland, but you're not, you're from, like, Parma? It's like that. Um, you don't know what that means
1: at all, but there are people listening who know exactly what that means. Okay. I mean, or if you, I mean, any city. Like, I'm from the Bay Area. I'm from San Francisco, but probably you're from, like, 40 minutes north of San Francisco. (laughs) Yes. I mean. (laughs) Yes. But whatever. Anyway. Which which
0: is probably why we don't know about this, because I think it's in downtown, which I don't.
1: Although, like, why didn't, I don't know, didn't there have been field trips or something? to that place. Yeah, I do have questions for my teachers about this growing up. Like, of all the crappy field trips we took, like, we couldn't go somewhere that was... I don't don't know. Okay. This would have been cool.
0: I would have thought this was cool. No, I wouldn't. At the time, I would have been, like... Yeah, that's probably true. Like, why are we going to the the zoo? Yeah. But, you know. Anyway. It's true. But, this hall of fame includes other brilliant scientists like Jonas Salk, who you may remember from uh, the polio vaccine uh tesla not like the car brand but the The actual tesla guy Mm -hmm. yeah and alexander rambell yep so and and a whole bunch of other people who did very cool stuff and i will be mining their site immediately for Mm -hmm. more names to add to this because there are some really cool people in
1: there just be warned that when you do that they're all probably gonna be physicists and then you're gonna have to talk about all their science stuff i'm very judiciously Mm -hmm. going to select physicists
0: in the future good
1: good plan you
0: know So that is the science of Dr. Flash. Nice. So I hope that that was not too intense.
1: No, I'm not too triggered. Okay. Honestly, so if if there are people out there listening that are chemistry-minded... I mean if you've heard of electrospray ionization for like mass spec techniques and other kinds of uh spectral analyses it's a similar concept. You
0: started to say that word and my brain just shut down. Sorry. I zoned all the way I was, I didn't even mean to. Like I was I was engaged in what you were saying. Like we're we're in the same room. I'm making eye contact, but my brain was like bye. <laughs> Sorry.
1: Yeah. Well, anyway, there's a lot of techniques today instrumentation-wise that use these same kinds of concepts of well, you blast stuff up into charged particles and then you send it through things called quadrupoles and it's charge based and it's you use carrier gases that are inert because you can't have them interacting. And anyway, yes. so I, I don't know the correlation because I don't know a lot about the development, the early stages of a lot of these instruments because I don't remember my instrumental analysis class. Sorry, Dr. Nussbaum. Um <laughs> Not that he'll ever listen, but sorry, I zoned out of your class a lot. Um, but yeah, it's, it sounds similar. So I mean, when you were saying those things, I'm like, okay, you've heard these I can words. Put yeah, this in context. well,
0: like, and and like, there is a,
1: there is, not that I'm an expert. Like, no, but it no. just, words made sense. Yeah, words made sense without making me check out. Yeah, like again, so then you, you know. understand
0: the words separately, and you're like, it's like when you're studying a, like a series, an actual different language, where you're like. I know what part of that word probably meant. Mm-hmm. So it felt like that to me. Yeah. So, so anyway, that's Dr. Flash. Nice. So let's take another quick break. Yep. And we will wrap up. Okay. Okay, so let's wrap this up today with Dr. Flash's legacy. So what do you find? Why is he a B.A.
1: to you? Why do you find him inspiring, you know? Um. I mean, the fact that... Again, as I've talked about, it feels like he, it's not like he had this easy childhood, grew up in, like, this great area, and, you know, had everything at his disposal. He worked really hard. His his family worked really hard to get where they, you know, where they were. Um, I don't know. I think, I think the fact that he was that smart, but also, like, he was smart enough to do well in his engineering physics degree But also be a collegiate athlete. I mean, Mm -hmm. being a collegiate athlete is a lot of work Mm -hmm. in and of itself. And I'm not knocking collegiate athletes like football players and stuff. But, I mean, you don't feel like most of the time they're coming out with engineering physics degrees. You know what I'm saying? They're not. A lot of them do not. That is true. So, I mean, I just think it speaks volumes about his just his hard, his work ethic and mm-hmm. his dedication and also just being probably brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I just think all that's pretty cool. Obviously, what we just learned about his science is, again, important technologies to what we have now, uh, mm-hmm. even if it's not technically, you know, if some of those specific inventions aren't being used, the, the concepts, the technology, or the ideas kind of came from that, which is pretty cool. Um, I mean, the, the thing that I... Th- find interesting about him too is he started in his own company um cool. yeah, two oh, two of his own companies um and he did do a lot uh outside of just that part of his life like he was uh, on the American Management Association's Research and Development Council he mm-hmm. was a trustee at Cornell mm-hmm. he was um a member of the Black Inventors Hall of Fame like you mentioned he was on the New York Mayor's task force on air pollution he actually was also on President Johnson's advisory panel on energy. He was on Nixon's task force on small businesses. Yeah. So like he just I don't know um, had the business acumen to be successful, and also just be really brilliant at inventing stuff. Which is not always true of scientists.
0: Oh, oh like, yeah. Like for a scientist <laughs> to also know how to run, because uh, this happens in 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 anything. Like a lot of um, like a lot of artists aren't gonna open their own gallery. Right. Someone's gonna run the gallery, they're gonna put their art in it because for someone to be able to marry those two, right. like the the science and the business right. is not something that's common, I don't think.
1: I mean some I mean people do it. I mean I would say my husband's company, you know, the person who's running the company, he's has the science background and is you know, running a good company and he's a great boss and those kinds of things. So it's not like it doesn't happen, but yeah, I mean why do a lot of scientists ju- just go and work in labs or just do those, ki- not just, but you know what I mean? They're yeah. not starting their own businesses. Like, you have to be... There has to be something extra. Yeah, there. you have to be, I mean, like the people, it's HP, it's like they started in their garage, right? Yeah. So, I mean, those kind of people in general just are very badass. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just inspiring, I guess, because wow, like you just did this thing in your garage or you just came up with these ideas and started a company and were successful. So yeah, Yeah. just, he's just a BA and to be an Olympian at the same time. Yeah. Well, I mean the,
0: the being an Olympian is amazing. I like, I, I don't care what anybody says. I love the Olympics. I make a big deal out of them every time they're on. I watch every single minute of the coverage of every ridiculous sport. I watch like I just love it. And I love the idea that people are going and representing their country, and, you know, I, I like that he was, like, he went and made America look really good. Yeah. He got a silver medal, and he came back and then continued to serve our country in ways where it's, you know, cause, well, literally served the country. He was in the Navy. For five seconds, maybe. But, I mean, yeah. But still, he, was, yeah. you know, served, and which is amazing. And he just... He lives a life that I cannot even imagine living or describe in any way because it's so different to mine. Yeah. So it's like I, I don't know. So that's that's very cool. And yeah, like he the, the things that he understood and did and that he wanted to use the technology to make things better. Yeah like you know he used his powers for good because not everybody does. Yeah. We are going we are going to talk about a guy this season who did not use his powers for good. So right. you you can go either way on it and he Definitely. he he chose he chose well. And yeah. so he's just again like you said at the beginning we need to learn more about this guy. Like he's a really great role model for a lot of people yeah. and, and to show you that You don't have to focus all your interests necessarily to one thing, and you don't have to do everything all at one time. Yeah. He didn't open his lab until he had a little bit of business experience. Right. He didn't move into energy until he had, you know, so his life came in stages, so you don't have to be, and by that time he had stopped being Olympian. You know what I mean? Like Like, he, he had parts of his life where he did certain things and then went on to do other things. So, very cool. Yeah. All right. Any other thoughts on him? I'm I'm so glad we I'm glad we picked him, despite how difficult this was to yeah. research for both of us.
1: Yeah. So um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Sources. Um. Well. Um. Let's see. I have a list of websites that you know.
0: Like a million. Like I bet there were some of the same as I used the Black Inventor Museum online, mm-hmm. the National Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine African American History Program. I used something from MIT. Oh. Uh, ScienceMag.org. Yep. Um, there's a really cool blog I found about air ionization, how it works, oh. which was very helpful. So yeah, most of mine tend more toward the I would I googled all of the vocabulary words of science things that I didn't know yep. and chased sources from
1: there. So we'll we'll post. Yeah. you know what we think is worth worthwhile. We have his for obituary, you. the New York Times article that's his obituary or his not I guess it wasn't his obituary as like a tribute to him but yeah. um so I have that we can post that. Um and I don't have written down the book that I used, but I used a book that it was like African American inventors or something like that. So where he had, you know, two pages. Was it
0: one, African American Inventors 2 by Susan K. Henderson? Yeah, maybe. that one, I found that one on Google, and okay. I read a blurb. Okay. That was, I think, where I got some of the electrostatic painting stuff. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. It wasn't it wasn't super long. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah. That's sources. That's what I got. Okay. You want to tease next week? Do you remember who we're doing next week? Oh, my favorite? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh Gee, I don't even know how to tease it.
0: If you listen to the first episode, she's you know you ought to know she's the inspiration for this whole podcast basically. So and she's just a you know badass human obviously. So um, so yeah, if you don't have anything else, no, I don't either. So until next week, live dangerously, do science.